Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. Today our topic is Sacred Cows in the Law Office. Our guest speaker is Judy Hassong, Principal of Nesso Strategies, and a very popular speaker and writer within the legal management field. Welcome, Judy. Thanks. First, give us, yeah, welcome aboard. Give us a little background on Nesso Strategies and your role as a coach and team builder. Well, Nesso is the Italian word for connection, and Nesso Strategies is built on the concept of connecting strategies of human performance and bottom line gain. So particularly in law firms where we're very focused on revenue and profit, but are we really focused on our people? And so I come in as a coach and a team builder and look for ways that the culture, what is the culture, how is the culture built, and how can we improve on that for the bottom line? Great. Now in this role, what are the most common obstacles faced by law firm managers today? I think right now there's a whole lot of stuff happening in the realm of culture. I wouldn't have even said that two years ago. And beyond that, I think leadership is critical and how are people going about developing culture. Because here's the thing, that if you think about culture as a Petri dish, right? if we go back to really the science element of culture, there's something in that Petri dish, and it's growing whether or not we tend to it. So is it growing what we want it to grow? And I think that's the real challenge right now. Now, how do you recommend that they overcome these obstacles? As a legal manager, I think there's a whole lot to be said about continuing to grow your own skill set, particularly around leadership. I don't, I don't think that leadership is a static state of existence, nor is a culture. So, so if I'm in a law firm, I want to understand what it is that's impacting my culture, and I'm an influencer and a leader in whatever role I'm playing, particularly in the management side. So continuing to grow my skill set and at the same time really being tuned in and dialed into the subtle changes that happen in culture every day. Culture. I'm glad we're on that subject. Now, you recently wrote an article for ALA's Legal Management magazine. It, it touches on a complicated office relationships like entitlement in the workplace. Now, how common is entitlement in today's law firm? I think there's a lot going on with entitlement. And the reason I say that is because we're sitting at this period of time where we've got so many different generations in the law firm, and these different generations have different levels of expectation. So some folks are coming to us that are brand new to the workforce, and they have some ideals about what that's supposed to be like, and they have them already with them before they arrive. We've got some folks that have worked for us, at this point, some folks 30 years. And so 30 years of the way it's been and the way it's supposed to be creates issues. It creates problems. And in particular, it can create entitlement. So yeah. This is how great it was then and now how awful it is now. And that's a tough one. That's a tough one. It's a very one. tough one. So you, it, you've just given us an example of how these types of entitlement situations tend to surface. Do you have another one you could share? Sure. I think that the longer I'm in any kind of position, it's – it's a little bit like, if we liken it to a family analogy, the, the oldest child has certain um, expectations and gets certain type of parenting. And, and when, the, when the younger children come along, three, four, five, six, you know, 10, 12, whatever, the, the rules sure. have changed. So there's no longer that same recognition of that oldest child. So let's bring that into a law firm. 
I worked for this firm for a really long time, and I used to get a lot of attention, a lot of accolades, a lot of awareness to what I bring to the table. But I've been here so long now that people don't necessarily give me that same level of attention. And, and we can call it the honeymoon phase. Maybe it's not even realistic to manage it at that level anymore. But as the firm grows and evolves, that piece of it creates some entitlement. Got it. Now, this is my favorite part. Uh, the article that you wrote, you mentioned the term sacred cow in your article. Now, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Well, if we go to the strictest definition of it, what we're really talking about is uh, the notion in the Hindu religion of what a cow is. Mm-hmm. And, and what that's been more um, colloquialized in America, I guess is the way to say that, this is really someone who's immune. There's, there's an immunity from criticism or from adjusting or from uh, tampering or, or anything. So there's, there's a built-in knowledge that a sacred cow is untouchable. And, and when we talk about thing. the law yeah. firm setting, having somebody untouchable affects culture. And that brings right into the next question. How can a sacred cow impact a firm's culture? It comes back to that notion that no matter what I do, you can't do anything about it. And so from a management perspective, if I'm a legal manager and I've got someone who perhaps has a a developing history of not coming to work on time or uh, or expects extra vacation days or expects that uh, they don't have to do certain things in the office that other people do, all of these things impact culture by virtue of someone having something other people don't. What's your recommendation for law firm leaders in approaching sacred cows in the workplace? Well, I think it's a careful conversation because you don't want to be on a he said, she said kind of uh, charge here. So, so understanding, okay, we've got someone who feels entitled. I would say a very typical response, unfortunately, is a lot of, a lot of um, law firm leaders look to avoid it, and so they work around it. And, and what happens there is there, there builds up resentment, and sometimes even we can lose our good people because they don't want to deal with the, the sacred cow. So let's stay in the positive with this scenario. The legal manager's opportunity to deal with this is to identify it first, and that's simply by noting the exception. Here's a behavior that I've created an exception, this one time, this one off, this one thing. Okay, that's fine. If it becomes a two-time, two-off, a three-time, three-off, now we have an ongoing problem. And in that space, it's time to address it. And I think that if you address it when you do the one-off, there's less likelihood of a two or a three to arrive. So it becomes a really big deal. And, and I'll, I'll add to that that it's a really important step to say, okay, have I been part of creating this? You know, if I'm the legal manager, did I play a role in having this person feel entitled? before I start pointing fingers at other attorneys or owners of a firm or other managers or anything else. So just to reiterate, the first thing that they should do, I think that's important. I think you touched on that, but could you elaborate on that? Sure. The, the very first thing as a legal manager is to identify it. So once I know it, and, and, I'll, and I'll step into this with a couple more 
steps along the way. Once I know, here's a situation where we've got someone entitled, and I would imagine that most of your listeners can pull up a name or a face pretty quickly on this one because it's so prevalent now in law firms. So here's this thing. I know this person. I know this entitlement situation exists. What do I do with it? Then I have to step into this going, okay, I have awareness of it. Step one, awareness. Step two, what can I do to build some accountability with this person? What can I do so that they become aware that they are entitled without lecturing them on entitlement? Because that's not going to work. Okay. So from um, a longer-term perspective, what about fixing the situation in the long term? Mm-hmm. I, so that's where the accountability piece becomes ah, a daily, okay. a daily, a regular, a regular. It, it's uh, the repeating, the repeating, and, and that's, I, that's not the exciting stuff. I don't know anybody who gets fired up to, to, have to, to have to sit and talk with someone on a very regular basis about accountability stuff. If there were people who loved doing that, well, part of it I'd be out of a job because that's a lot of what my coaching practice is. The other part of it is we don't do it generally as a culture. We've just gotten away from it. And a, and a piece of that's because we're not very focused on our communication skills in general. So accountability looks like this. We've got someone who's entitled, and, and for purposes of specificity, let's make up an example. Let's assume that we've got someone who, uh, who has developed a history of being able to come in late to work every day. And, and, and so it's a conversation that's going to start out about um, how did we, or, you know, what can we do to get you back on track with your start time? So it's not you're coming in late, this has to stop. Those are declaratory statements. It's not you're not going to move a sacred cow that way because, remember, they've got some immunity. So they've got somebody who's given them that immunity, and all you're going to do as a legal leader is create alienation inside your firm. You don't want to do that. Exactly. You're one culture. So let's say what should legal management do to solve the situation when it involves lawyers or law firm staff who are let's say, averse to change. No no way. Adverse to change happens? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't know who that is. Law? Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so here's the thing. I think change has gotten a really bad rap. And, and the reason I say that is because we, we sat through a period of time. We, we, I'll use the phrase, we hunkered down and we held on. And, and, and I don't even want to get into, you know, whether that was the economy, I don't, the new normal, any of those buzzwords, blah, blah, blah. What I'm really wanting to say is we, we sat still. And then all of a sudden when we stood back up and we had all this change we had to address, it felt big. And, the, and now let's put change out there as this great big thing. Because here's the bottom line. If I reach in my pocket and I've got some coins and I call it some change, do I really think it's that big of a deal? I mean, I know plenty of people who a penny falls out of their pocket, they don't even pick it up. Right. So, so has really changed that big? We've made it be this great big thing. So here's the reality. If I need to make a giant leap, if I need to take my firm and go fast forward because I sat still too long, then yes, that change is hard. And, and what do I have to do there? Then it becomes really, really important that I'm communicating, that I have action items, that I have steps between here and there. And lots of times I will say I have noticed lots of times where there's great big change required, people often bring in an outside person to help them mitigate the risk of what the internal people are doing. That doesn't have to be the case. It's simply a matter of how much communication do we do around the change. And if I can make it bite-sized, 
I'll go back to my analogy of culture. If I'm, if I'm paying attention to what's growing in the dish, I can pull out the things that I don't want growing and have a conversation with them and then put them back in the dish. If I'm not paying attention to what's growing in the dish and all of a sudden I look and I've got a culture of things I don't want, now I have to make very big moves to make change happen. So if I'm looking at people adverse to change, it's primarily because the change is big and it, I have to break it down and make it bite-size. Does that make it sense? It all starts with culture, absolutely. Okay. Now, before we wrap up today, are there any other important points that you'd like to share with us that you haven't talked about already? Well, I think in this, in, so we're staying in this conversation about entitlement. Yes. I, I think that probably the, the, the biggest thing or the most important awareness I want people to have is that you can't walk in and tell someone that they have to do something different and expect it to work. And, and that's where the communication skills really comes in. It, and to some degree, coaching comes in. Because if I walk in to tell you how you have to be different, it's not going to happen. You've already been like you, like you are for a long time, particularly if I'm feeling entitled about something. So it becomes thinking about what do I want in the end? What's the, what's the outcome I want with this person and their behavior? And then backing into it with questions, backing into it with opportunities so that I keep this person who they wouldn't be a sacred cow if they weren't somehow important to the firm. And, and I left that part out, so I'll bring that back in. You get to be a sacred cow because you had a lot of value along the way. Absolutely. Well, we've been enlightened today. <laughs> Instead of entitled today, we have been enlightened Yay, today. Yay, I like and that. that brings us, I like that. Well, that brings us to the end of our discussion today. Thank you, Judy. And for those of you wanting more information, check out the February 2014 issue of Legal Management and look for the movement of a sacred cow by our <laughs> guest, Judy Hassan. And look for Judy as a featured speaker at ALA's 2014 annual conference in Toronto this May. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today.